Thank you, uh, Nikki and Rog. And I just want to say to all of you guys who already know them, these guys are amazing. If you're new to church and looking for a spiritual home, I can just commend them highly. I actually whispered to him, I said, man, this church is so excited. In a few years' time, we're going we're gonna to need to decide which church in Common Ground we actually belong to. And uh, he made me an offer I'm considering at the moment. Uh, guys, Common Ground, 23 years next Sunday. That's how long we've been in the story. So we've been a sort of a below-the-radar church. And uh, next Sunday, we launch our 11th congregation just across the M5 in Athlone. It's a new congregation. We've sown out from Rondebosch about 25 uh, deacons that are, and, and a massive, beautiful team of very ordinary people. So I want to answer this question. What's so common about common ground before we pray? And the name comes from that verse in 1 Corinthians 9.23 where Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says, uh, I, I have become all things to all people that by all possible means I might reach some. What a wonderful line. And then I found it in a modern translation that said, I've done everything I can to build common ground with my culture in order to win them to Christ. And bingo, that was about... 11, 12 years ago, we changed the name from Friends First to Common Ground, and that was because we wanted to be this face, this army of ordinary people living in the slipstream of an extraordinary risen Savior by the name of Jesus. And in Mark chapter 1, and that's the series we're going to bin next week, and I don't want to run ahead of the series, but I did want to tell you just one thing I noticed, is Jesus is walking on a coastline. Similar to ours here, except much smaller sea called the Sea of Galilee. And he sees some fishermen doing some stuff. And he walks up to these middle of the road, normal guys, and he does something. It's an initiative from heaven. He says, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. Jesus was never, ever looking for fans. And we in Common Ground are not looking for fans of leaders of our church. We want to dial into that original story that Jesus started 2,000 years ago. And we want to learn to follow him. We want to learn to, to respond to his initiative, to come under his voice, so to speak, to be in his presence. The second thing he says is, I will make you to become. Isn't it beautiful to find relief in not being in charge of your own transformation? He says, I'm going to do some stuff. As you follow me, you're going to experience my power. Another ad for get in this journey with us as we learn to love and follow Jesus and experience his transforming power. And the third thing uh, Jesus says, and I, I will make you to become fishers of men. Think influence in a broken world. Think good news in a bad news world. Think uh, the, uh, about opening our hearts, our lives, our homes, and more and more people uh, coming into this kind of experience, but also learning to follow Jesus with us as we hold out the good news in a pretty dark world. And I stand before you and say, isn't this an amazing new day for us as we continue to say yes to Jesus and make him the hero of our story? We don't need a hero that saves the day. We need a hero that saves the world. I come before you now as a humble servant and I invite you to Pray with me. God, we want to thank you 
for this amazing fresh launch of this church in a new venue. We want to thank you that uh, we are united by the extraordinary person of Jesus Christ, his amazing love, his grace that has been poured out on us, that is at work among us. We want to thank you, Lord, that you have promised wherever we're gathering around you, it's a magnetic field of transformation. And we want to invite your presence. We want to pray uh, that, as Nikki said earlier, go out those doors and don't leave the way you came. We want to be that kind of church that never leaves the way we arrive, whether it's small group or whether it's here on Sundays. We want to invite your transforming power from this day on. And we say, Jesus, we want your name glorified. We're not building a brand. We're multiplying the message of the name and the fame of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Rigby. I don't think we've celebrated enough. I mean, this is awesome, isn't it? Look around you. Let's give God a round of applause. Woo! It's worth sometimes just taking a moment to stop and pause and say, wow, thank you for being here with us. If you're here for the first time, so am I. <laughs> We're all here for the first time, and uh, it's just so cool to be together and to carry on the journey that uh, Common Ground has been on, but also, I suppose, to start it fresh for some of us. And maybe it's a symbolic experience of a fresh start uh, for some of us, but maybe for others of us, it's, a, it's an opportunity to just freshly start uh, discovering God again, maybe using this moment as a, as a starting point, as a, as a launching pad into whatever it is that God may be wanting to do in your life. This is the beginning, not just of a year, but of a, of a decade. And I love the thought. I'm, I'm less enamored with a year. I mean, think about a year. It flies by. Last January was, feels like yesterday. But what could God maybe do with us? I'm so excited to sometimes pause and just ask the question, what could the next decade look like? We sometimes overrate what we can do in a year and underrate what we might be able to do in a decade. Does that sound exciting to you, to think about changing the world together? Come on. Rigby, you might enjoy this story, by the way, being a grandpa. So um, I was uh, putting the girls to bed on Thursday night. We alternate between big girls, small girls, and uh, we get to put all our three girls uh, to bed every night, obviously. We have three daughters. Nikki's my wife, by the way, if you're here for the first time. Three girls, six, four, and two. The six and four-year-old, they sleep together in a room, and then the two-year-old is chaos, and she is not allowed close to them yet. She's quarantined to another room until her behavior improves. And... Uh, I was putting the older two down, and, uh, you know, you're obviously close at bedtime, so you're right up next to each other, and uh, these spotlights could really help what I'm about to say. The oldest one says, Dad, why have you got such dark lines on your forehead? <laughs> and she doesn't give me a chance. I'm like dumbstruck. She says, is it because you're going to be a grandpa soon? <laughs> so who knows what might happen in a decade, eh? Let's hope not. But there are so many ways to stay humble when you're a parent, right? 
I think another cool thing just to say is thank you to Elkana uh, High School. I know Michelle is here somewhere in the crowd, and she represents something of how we pulled all this together. And uh, we're just so excited about years of fantastic partnership and being a blessing together. This space is a wonderful servant, and uh, we hope that so many people have the opportunity to experience God, to encounter Him, to enjoy Him, to see their lives change, to, to not leave through these doors unchanged. What a cool thing. And we just want to maybe give Elkanah a round of applause and just say, wow, thank you. What do you do on day one of a, of a new space, of a new launch? What do you say? I found myself reflecting on so much and uh, wondering, you know, how do you pitch and how do you cast a vision and, and how do you do it when there's so many different people in the room, some who are looking in going, you know, what is Common Ground all about, others who've been here for at least five years, some who go back 22 years from the very beginning of our story, 23 uh, soon to be. And uh, I found myself thinking back to five years ago. In fact, my Facebook uh, memory that popped up yesterday was of a moment, Rigby, us standing in a Rondebosch uh, congregation together, and uh, literally five years ago this weekend, we were commissioned out to come start this. And uh, what was interesting about that moment was that for three weeks, we didn't have a space to meet. Our contract with Tableview High School was, uh, was only starting on the 15th of March, so this church is, is four years old and 11 months and uh, a little bit of change. So we had this three-week gap where Sunday mornings were empty. We had been sent from Rondebosch, we had no work to do there, and we had nowhere to meet on Sundays. So we thought we'd visit some churches. So interestingly enough, we realized that the place we're renting has a church across the road. So that Sunday morning, we wake up literally five years ago, almost to the day. We walk out of our house with one child at the time. We walk out the entrance. We meet a couple who tell us where to go because they were also going to church. I won't fall off this, by the way. Anyone's nervous? It doesn't happen. I've got good balance. I'm a surfer. I promise. Look, look, it's all fine. Those of you who are anxious, let your anxieties move on. People have told me that feels a bit nerve-wracking. So we're walking across the road, and we, we walk into this auditorium, and Nix and I know where our church is about to meet, and we walk into this auditorium, and Nix looks at me, and she says, this is the coolest space I've ever seen. It would be so cool if our church could meet here. And uh, like all good Christians, we just drooled and coveted and got very jealous about the church that was meeting there. Amazingly, we were living in a little estate called Oak Hill which is right across the road here. And we walked across the road five years ago into this very hall, and we said, wow, how cool would it be if we could meet in this space? Five years to the day, we're meeting in this space, and we didn't need to hurt anyone or threaten anyone <laughs> to make that happen, which is even better. We just really do feel like God opened doors and has been super kind to us and has grown us as a church and as a leadership to the point that maybe we're ready for that next step. And so I'm just so grateful to God, and it's an amazing story of His unfolding grace in our story, and I hope so many of us are going to be shareholders in that. I want to speak to you today about hunger. Hunger. What are you hungry for? What do you give yourself to when you've got spare time? Most of us say, I don't have spare time. It's because we fill up our time with the stuff we're hungry for. The stuff we want tends to fill up our time. It doesn't matter how busy you are. There is always something that drives what we want. 
We're driven by these hungers inside of our lives. I told this story to a few people the other day. I was uh, working away at home, sort of in the books and reading and prepping and doing all sorts of preparation to make sure everything was ready for this. And I was sitting at my laptop and suddenly our WhatsApp group, our security group in our, compl- uh, in our area just starts going crazy. And, and our neighbor says, somebody has tried to steal or has stolen my bike and they're going down the road with it and I don't know where they've gone. She's a lady, and she didn't feel like trying to chase after a criminal. So uh, there's part of me that's the coward that goes, Phew, I'm sure somebody's going to sort that out. And there's the other part of me that says, maybe I should try to do this. And I saw the photo, and the guy didn't look too threatening. So I thought, maybe I'll you know, be a bit of a hero. So I, uh, I get in my car, and I tell Nixon, the girls, because they were home, I'm going to try apprehend a criminal. Get in the car feeling super brave, but you know, you're in your car. You drive every day feeling pretty safe in your car. And uh, the adrenaline's pumping a little, as it would. And uh, I, I'm seeing all these, these messages flying down. People are driving, looking, can't find this guy, can't find the bike. Where is this bike? And uh, eventually, we found him. I wasn't the guy, but we found the bike. We apprehended the criminal, and we got this lady her bike back. It was such a victory. And I got to see the bike and bring it back and bring justice to our neighborhood. And I was like, yo, I'm a hero. And I didn't have to you know, get hurt or hurt anyone. I just got to be there. It was fantastic. And uh, anyway, I, dro- I kind of went home, and that night got a bit of time just reflecting. And I thought, what happened? What happened in this guy's life? And what is driving him? What is he so hungry for that he is willing to climb over somebody's wall, risk being apprehended, which is exactly what happened, risk going to prison or getting a criminal record or doing whatever he needs to do. What is he hungry for? I wrote a list in my head. I thought maybe he's hungry for food. He just wanted to sell the bike and make some money. Fine. Maybe he's addicted to something and he wanted to sell the bike and get some substance that's going to give him his next fix. Possibly probable. Maybe he wants to get a job and he needs a way to transport to to work. He's hungry for something to the point that he's willing to risk so much to get it. The question is, is what are you so hungry for that you're maybe willing to risk so much to get? Jesus puts it to us that uh, we should have some driving hungers that should motivate what we do and how we do it. Our waking hours should be driven by some sort of overarching hunger. He speaks into our lives so often through the scriptures and he calls us to have some sort of undergirding hunger to drive us. I love the concept hunger because it doesn't require pedigree. You don't need to be impressive. You don't need to have it all together. You don't need to know everything. To have a hunger is to just say, I want something badly, and I'm going to do what I can to get it. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus speaks into something that we should be hungry for. He speaks into something that should drive and should motivate what we love and what we do with our lives. And in a way, it's what's becoming our our vision for Common Ground Church Bloberg. That's our new name, by the way, Common Ground Church Bloberg. Nice ring to it, right? We're hungry for some stuff. It's amazing. You, you can get a thousand people who just agree with each other that you know, certain things are, need to happen. That's cool. When you get 10 people who are hungry for the same thing, you can change the world. We want to cast a vision for our hearts that Jesus cast for us and begin to grow a hunger to live this stuff out. 
I hope maybe even if you're new to faith or still exploring church or uncertain about all that stuff, that even some of these hungers that we have would start to rub off on you, would start to shape something of the way that you view life and start to make sense of a very confusing world in which we live. Bono said something interesting. He says, if you, you want to find meaning for your life, he says this. He says, stop asking God to bless what you're doing. He says it like this. Find out, rather, what God is doing. It's already blessed. It's already blessed. Hey, that's why we go to the scriptures all the time. We work out what God's doing, and then we get on his page, and the blessing of God falls upon it. So let's read. What is God up to? What is Jesus calling us to? Well, Matthew chapter 28, 16 to 20, the resurrected Jesus. Yes, you heard me. Jesus died on a cross. He rose again. Let that never get boring to you. This is a fantastic fact of the gospel that the Savior King didn't just die on a cross for our sins, but three days later, literally, physically, rose again, proving that God performs miracles and that life can break into the world at any stage, and we shouldn't be surprised by it. The very King of our kingdom has risen from the dead. And that very king of the kingdom who's risen from the dead is now with his disciples and he's so stoked to be with them. So this is how it goes. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And they saw him. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Any doubters here? It's good to have you. Even Jesus' disciples doubted. And Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's word. Let's pray. Your scriptures teach us, Lord, to tremble at your word. May we never read scripture in a way that is similar to the way that we may read the news or, or read a social media feed. Lord, these are wonderful words. They make sense of the world that we live in. They, they bring meaning to our hearts. They give us purpose and vision. I pray, God, that as a church, we would have a vision to esteem the words of scripture, to shape who we are and what we're becoming. And even today, as we look at your words, Jesus, in this great commission, I pray that they would shape our view and our vision for who we're becoming as individuals, as a church, and as the, the, the greater church, Lord. We don't just love Common Ground Church Bloberg or Common Ground. We love what you're doing in the world. We commend every church that loves you, Jesus, to see and savor this wonderful vision, this great commission, and to live it out with courage and conviction, to be a blessing to every suburb that we're in. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So this beautiful text speaks to the vision. It speaks to who we're becoming, and I hope you're as compelled by it as I am. But there are four words that we hope to become. We hope to shape who we're becoming. And those four words are simply this. Presence, formation, mission, community. Presence, formation, mission, community. If you don't understand that, then what's wrong with you? Come on, it's so simple. I'm joking. I'll explain that as we go. But I want to just go through that text, go through what Jesus says, and uh, explain why this is part of our vision for who we're becoming. And I want to go in the logical order and start at the end of Jesus' words, which is, of course, the right way to go, right? Any English teachers, start at the end and work your way backwards? No. Well, here we go. Jesus' final words. After he's commissioned his disciples, and he says, go make disciples, go do this stuff, go change the world. He says, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. 
One of the visions that we have for our community is that we're a people who understand that God is excited to be with us. That in fact, the whole thrust of what it means to be a follower of Jesus started in the Garden of Eden where basically humankind said, we will rather have it our way and push back on your ways, God, because we prefer independence, my way, not your way, Lord. And so they pushed the presence of God away from them in their sin and rebellion. But what's amazing is that the thrust of Scripture is basically God's endeavors to put His presence back at the center of human existence. The wonder of the the story of the Bible is that God wants more and more for His presence to be at the center. It started with uh, the temple where basically the people of God had the temple, and it was symbolic of the fact that there were a people who needed God at the center. It then culminates in the wonder of Jesus Christ. The Bible says he tabernacled, he templed amongst his people. God became flesh and showed himself and said, I want to be in your life at the center of your life. I don't want to be looking in from a distance. I don't want to have some sort of of long-range view of you. I want to be close to you. You see that first verse in verse 16? Jesus basically moves right in towards them. He says, come be with me. Now, you might go, oh, it was, the, it was the pre-resurrected Jesus. He loved to be with his disciples, but this is not. This is the post-resurrection Jesus who came to them and he spoke with them. I hope you get this, that God wants to be with you. He wants to presence himself with you. He wants you to know that this is the high privilege of what it means to be human, is that your creator God can be with you and I. And Jesus did all kinds of amazing stuff with his disciples. He had briars on the beach. How cool is that? That's why I'm a surfer, because Jesus did so much cool stuff on the beach. And uh, it's just a fantastic story of the resurrected Jesus having a fish bry on the beach saying, I want to do life with you. I don't just want you in the holy Sunday moments. I want you to know what it means to be a person who walks with God. Are you hungry for some of that? The presence of God throughout the scriptures also doesn't just symbolize, you know, God walking with you and making sure that you don't act naughty. It's actually about God walking with you to know that he is loving you. It's actually about God bringing shalom to our lives. That word shalom speaks of a kind of total human flourishing. It speaks of a non-anxiety. It speaks of a world that is in which we live that says, I can breathe and my soul isn't filled with a low-level anxiety all the time because I know that fundamentally, at the very deepest level, God is with me. We've got a vision to become people who increasingly get this. We live in such an anxious world. I know it as well as you do. Many of us are are struggling through this low-level anxiety driven by so much information and so much so-called busyness that we're filling our souls with a a, sometimes high-level anxiety, right? It's it's right on on every nerve end. But whatever it is, we're often very anxious people. The presence of God is the key helper the key reason why we can begin to be less anxious. I've got a vision for us as a church. I can't fix it all today. It's just not feasible. 
but I know that we can take a step in the right direction. And I know that in a decade's time, we can look back on our journey of discovering what does it mean to be people who understand that he will never leave us to the very end of the age. He will be with us. One Sunday after the next, one Wednesday, one friendship, one prayer that begins to become a flood of life that flows into our souls to the point that we are no longer the anxious people that just reflect our culture back to them. But there's a heavenly presence that begins to reflect something of the peace of God. Hey, we can have it. The resurrected Jesus in other parts of of, of the story, uh, in John especially, he breathes on his disciples and he breathes peace. Don't you want that? Don't you want that? Don't you want to know the the peace of the resurrected Jesus as he breathes over us? Hey, that gets to the next point. Gets to the next point that actually we're being formed. We don't just want to have the presence of God and know what it means to walk with God, but we actually want to be formed into the image of God. We don't want to just be with Jesus. We want to actually become like him. I'm more excited about who we are becoming as individuals than what the name of common ground could ever become in any area in our city. That means so little to God compared to who you and I are actually becoming when it comes to our personal lives. What is being formed inside of us is such a high priority to Jesus. Look at what he says. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey or to observe all that I have commanded you. How cool is this? Jesus has this amazing tension, this balance, this wisdom to say, I care deeply about who you're becoming but I realize it's going to be a journey. This is amazing. So many uh, ways that we could view God is either that God wants you to change today or, you know, just give up and just forget and just live a functional, transactional relationship. But actually, God wants us to be changed day by day, and He cares about it. Jesus wants us to become followers of His. That word disciple, I've been practicing it for a while now. It's mutates. Metates is the Greek word, and it's, it speaks of somebody who walks alongside a person who is more experienced than them and feeds off of who they are and what they like and becomes a kind of apprentice to them, like a good electrician or a good plumber or a, or a good speaker or anyone who needs to learn. You need to be with someone more experienced than you, and you begin to feed off of their experience, and you begin to act and live like them. That's what it means to be a disciple or a follower or an apprentice of Jesus is you simply walking with him and learning from him so that today I'm doing better than I did yesterday. I'm learning to follow him, become like him, reflect him in my attitudes. I think there's too many adverts for Christianity that sort of have those before and after shots, right? You know, where it's like slightly you know, larger and then six packs rippling everywhere and you've got these two photos. And, and sometimes the church is a bit like that, right? You're like, if you just follow Jesus, you'll have the after shot in about three weeks and you know, maybe a bit like those Jacques Callis adverts, right? And you, you know you're gonna get the hair back that you always wanted. I, I'm, I know those ones because I'm sort of interested in them possibly for the future. The point is, is you, you, you kind of, you've got this, this picture that it's all going to happen super quick. But actually, Jesus doesn't say it's all going to happen in a moment. What's going to happen in a moment if you become a follower of Jesus is you get access to him. You've got unfettered, perfect and beautiful access to Jesus, and you can walk with him every day. 
But it's that proximity, day in and day out, of walking with him, of learning his ways. When, when all the jealousy wells up in you and you look at stuff that you want that you can't have and, and Jesus walks alongside and he says, I've got what I need for you. This isn't for you. And your heart goes, ah. Oh. And, and when anger or, or rage or hatred starts to fill your heart, but, the, but you realize Jesus is walking with you, he starts to coach. And, and it takes a few months and a few years and a few decades to become the kind of person that God is making us into. He's forming us into these disciples. But discipleship is not about crossing some sort of line and then you know, just pitching up a church. Jesus isn't so excited about making converts in the world. He didn't say that, right? Come on, fill the world with converts. No, he didn't say that. He said, fill the world with disciples. Fill the world with people who, who are learning to understand who is Jesus? What is he like? What does he do in the world? And how can I start doing the same stuff? How does he love and how can I love like him? How can my heart begin to be shaped like him? I think one of the big obstacles to becoming more formed into the image of Jesus is busyness. I really, honestly, I asked a few of you today, this morning, I was out on the front and I said, how are you doing? Do you know how many of you answered me, busy? Do you know how many of you did that? And it's not wrong. People ask me, I'm doing, I'm busy. What is going on? What is happening with our lives? John Ortberg uh, had this amazing interaction with a famous author named uh, uh, Dallas Willard. And, uh, and, and, and this other author writes, and he says it like this. He, John Ortberg is asking Dallas Willard, the guru of, of spiritual life, how can I do this? And he says, what do I need to do to become the me I want to be? There's a long silence on the other end of the line. According to John with Willard, there's always a long silence on the other end of the line. Then, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. He carries on writing. Can we just hit the pause button for a minute and agree that that's brilliant? Thanks. John then scribbles that line down in his journal. Sadly, this was before Twitter. Otherwise, that would have broken the internet. Then he asks... Okay, what else? Another long silence. Willard, there is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. John Mark Comer writes, and he says, Today you're far more likely to run into the enemy in the form of an alert on your phone while you're reading your Bible, or a multi-day Netflix binge, or a full-on dopamine addiction to Instagram, or a Saturday morning at the office, or another soccer game on a Sunday, or commitment after commitment after commitment in a life of speed. Corrie ten Boom, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Sure. Hey, we, we want to be formed into the image of Jesus. We want to become more and more like him, but there may be some need for us to work out what are we hungry for and what might we need to say less yeses to. In an age of information, we fill our minds with a whole bunch of stuff, but we don't, need, we don't always understand how to work out the good from the great. We, we hear the news and we go, Donald Trump's you know, impeachment is there, and we read this and we go, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Mm, cool, cool. 
But, but that's not true. One is just one leader for a short amount of time who's you know, maybe going to be impeached. And another is that the eternal king of heaven has come to earth, has lived the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died. He's risen again on the throne, and he has all authority in heaven and on earth. These two pieces of information are incomparable. They should never be read in the same way. Some of our information needs to be slowed down, ingested, taken a little slower. But because we're in such a hurry, we're just trying to gather information and our souls are paying the price for it. Jesus never ran anywhere that you can find in the New Testament. He didn't sprint to get from one place to the next. He seemed to have margin in his life to be able to reflect on the stuff that mattered. I'm not trying to make us feel bad here. I'm, I'm, I'm as guilty as anyone, but I am on a journey, and we as a church are on a journey to become the kind of people who've got enough space in our lives to actually become aware of God and what He's doing. We can't be so distracted. We've got a vision for formation, who we are becoming. The next two points are a lot shorter if you're the timekeeper guy. Community. Community. Jesus gets to his 11 disciples, uh, and, and he gets to a group. The 11 disciples went to Galilee. He goes to a group of people. And then look at all the thems and theys. Jesus had directed them, and they saw him. They worshiped him, but some doubted. How cool is that for a picture of a group of people who are becoming a family? Some are doubting. Some are looking in awe, but they're doing it together. It's quite a beautiful picture. It seems like Jesus always works with communities. He's, he, in fact, so many of his commands are almost impossible to function outside of community. Some of us may have come from a background or been taught that this is a, a totally normal sentence, that we'd go, you know what, I, I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'm just not going to do the, the church thing. Now, I, I get that. I get what you're saying, but I, but I don't fully get it because the teachings of Jesus are about our love for one another, and our love for one another is intrinsically connected to how we do the life of God. And, and the New Testament just cannot fathom it. It's so confused by this thought of, I can follow Jesus in isolation, it, it doesn't allow for that. Now, I'm so excited to walk journeys with you and, and, and as leadership team to have coffees and, and pour over the scriptures and work out, does the scriptures really say that? I want to suggest it does, that the best way to learn to follow Jesus and learn to live in the love of Jesus is to do it together. That's what Jesus said. He said, by this will the whole world know that you're my disciples by the way that you love each other. Wow. That, that's actually quite challenging. For me, the best way to, to reflect the love of God to the world is not actually that, that super sappy love where we, you know, we just send cards to each other on birthdays and, and, and you know, love each other when it's easy. It's when we love each other when it's hard. And, and really, hard isn't just when we're being compassionate towards brokenness. The hardest people to love are the people that have hurt us. Ah. Oh shouldn't do this on launch day. Hey, you should never say to a group of people that you're in a church where people might hurt you. But actually, genuine followership of Jesus, to be formed into the image of Jesus, is to be able to go through some moments where people who are considered your family actually let you down. Or worse yet, you let them down. And then we learn to say sorry. And we learn to say, I forgive you. And in that moment, you distinguish yourself from every other person in the world. 
You become a family. The point of the church is, yes, that we should be formed more and more into the image of Jesus, that we're loving and patient and kind and all those kinds of things. Yes, amen. But a lot of the time, we're not that. And when we're not that, the grace of God comes and fills the gap, and we become the community who are the grace of God to each other. It's so incompatible. In a consumeristic world, this is how we do it. This person hurt me. This church let me down. I'll find another one. Man, I pray that's not us. I pray that we don't become that kind of church where it just gets a little hard, a little awkward. Someone let us down, and we don't have the maturity to say, how do I talk about this? How do I learn to get forgiven or to forgive? Because therein lies what it means to really, genuinely become a family. Here's what Jesus is saying. These disciples had uh, disagreements. They had so many. And he coached them on how to love each other through it. Hey, it's, it's a wonderful journey. I hope you join us. I hope that you're growing in this ability to do that. Hey, I've had last two weeks, I've let some people down. I've, I've apologized. I've said sorry. I still probably have a few more to do. It, 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 in, a, in a busy season, by the way, when you're hurrying, you let more people down. It's hard to love when you're in a rush. It's hard to love. And by the way, this whole thing of community, one of the, the reasons many people are anxious in our generation, they say, statistically, is because of our lack of routine and consistency. Did you know that? That so much of our unpredictability, we've, we've got so much freedom in our society, and we love it, and we say, I can choose anything I want. I can go to a beer festival this week. I can go wine tasting next week. I can go wherever I want, whenever I want. The world's my oyster. There's so much entertainment. Cape Town is the best place to live. But not having consistency, the kind of consistency that the New Testament speaks about. They gathered together to, in the temple, in a bigger space, and then they, from house to house, it's that rhythm, it's that consistency. We don't even often in our generation say grace and eat meals together as families. All of those little routines, they speak to your soul and they say, there's something safe. There's something predictable about an unpredictable world. So much of Christian practice is being shoved out, and with it is coming a whole bunch of anxiety. Community is one of God's amazing gifts to tell your soul in a very confusing, very tumultuous, very tempestuous world, some things are still the same, heart. Listen to me, heart. Some things will keep being the same. God's people will always worship together. God's people will always gather and encourage each other. We will always say grace as a family. We will do things together that will tell our souls God is still on the throne. Routine is a wonderful gift to your soul. And we mustn't uh, push it away just because we want to be the people with freedom. Final one, mission. We've got presence. We've got formation. We've got community. And then finally, we've got mission. We're a community who wants to do what Jesus did. Remember, that's where it's blessed, right? Do what God's doing. Get into what he's up to. Verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Go. Go make disciples, not converts. Don't get people to sign on the dotted line. Makes no difference. People who are learning to find and to follow Jesus. October 2014, we had a meal with Rigby and Sue. It was in our home in Rondebosch, and we were asking the question, what's next for us? All we knew was that there was this really potent passage of Scripture where Jesus spoke to his people, and he said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go make disciples. And we're sitting in our home in Rondebosch, and we have a meal together. 
And Rigby says, what about up there? What about Bloberg? What about Tableview? What about all those people who don't yet have a church, who don't yet know the love of Jesus, who haven't heard the message, who don't know the mercy of God, who haven't seen the miraculous inbreakings of God? What about those people? At the time, all we knew was there was a text that said we should do it. I wonder and sometimes if we're waiting for permission to do what God's already commissioned us to do. You don't need permission to do what Jesus already said you must do. We're called to go with this amazing mission. The mission is simply three M's, message, mercy, miracles. We take the message of God. We basically are saying there is a new order that has come to the world. There is no ruler who's stronger, no one who's better. Jesus, who lived the life we could never live, is the true king. He's the son of God. He defeated the powers of sin and Satan and death, and you think that you, your life is mortal. There is life that can start before death, and you can begin to enjoy it if you hand over the reins to Jesus. You start to follow him. Day by day, hand over the reins. Don't be perfect. Don't try to be perfect. Just start following him. Say yes to his mercy, say yes to his kindness, and start working out who is he and what he's like. You can't argue with the man Jesus. Anyone from all kinds of different faith walks, you go, what do I do? How do I face this man? You cannot question his perfection, his teachings. What you need to remind yourself is, is that he is also the king. He rose again, he defeated darkness and sin and Satan, and he calls us to come and hand over our lives and begin to follow him day by day. That's the message. It's a message we've got to learn to, to share with our friends in non-threatening, non-weird, normal ways that just say, hey, I've found something you need. And I'm going to try my best to show you over the next months and years that this is a message worth listening to. There's also mercy. Jesus was filled with compassion so often. We can't be so busy, so rushed that we don't have space for mercy, to love the unlovable, to love the, the least, to love the last people who keep putting pushed out to the margins of society. And by the way, there's, there's also a God of miracles. Jesus performed miracles all over the show. And, and, and whilst we're not encouraging you or expecting you to, to pray for healing and miracles every moment that you go about your day, you should be expecting the miracles of Jesus to break out in our lives from time to time. It's the, it's the inbreakings of the extraordinary into our ordinary lives. It's gravity always falls this way until sometimes Jesus moves in and he changes things. Broken things become fixed because God breaks in. We should be a people who expect to do the mission of God expecting that he breaks in. I think for some it's going to be around anxiety, depression. That actually day by day as we start to follow him, it's going to lift off of us like a, like a, a sheet just lifts off of your soul. Just day by day, get into his word, begin to pray, begin to receive him, begin to slow down and be with him, and we'll see that slowly but surely, that blanket of darkness just lifts up as you see the king of glory who's got all authority over every situation of your and my life. Maybe I can call the band up. We're going to sing a song in response, but I suppose the question I want to ask you this morning is, what are you hungry for? What are you spending your life on? What are you spending your waking hours uh, thinking about? What do you lie in bed worried about? Hunger is very powerful, and we've all got it. Honestly, every single one of us are hungry for something. The question is, what are we hungering after? What are you going to be willing to climb over walls, risk a bit for? 
Maybe risk some certain comforts or discomforts. Maybe you need to say no to certain things so that you can slow down on the hurry so that you can enjoy the presence of God and, and, and the person of Jesus and become a little more like him. I don't know what you're hungry for, but I want to suggest there's four fantastic things to be hungry for. To be hungry for his presence. To be hungry to be formed more into the image of him. To be hungry to be the kind of community that reflects and resonates into this world the message and the mission of Jesus in a way that says, look, don't look at me, look at him. I don't know what you're hungry for, but I would encourage you, would ask you to submit your hungers freshly and say, Jesus, if I'm not hungry, would you make me hungry because this stuff is good and I need some peace in my soul and I need, to, I need an adventure worth living and dying for. Can I ask you to stand? We're going to pray. Lord Jesus, this morning we don't come to you just because we have needs. We come to you because you are God. We come to you because you have all authority in heaven and on earth. It's been given to you, not to us. I just pray this morning for a fresh wonder at those lines, a fresh humility under those words, that all authority is not ours, it's yours. You give us freedom under your authority. You give us life under your care. You give us joy because of our submission to you, because you love us better than we can even love ourselves. Lord, as we look ahead at a future filled with exciting and wonderful things, I pray, God, that you would coach our hearts to follow you in the day by day, that we'd find increasing joy in our morning times with you, reading the scriptures and prayer, in our regular interactions of just praying, trusting you with the next meeting, the next interaction, the next thing, because God, you're with us, and Jesus, you love us. Maybe for some, I'm not going to ask you to lift up your hand or anything like that. I'm just going to encourage you. If it's, it's been a long time since you said yes to Jesus. It's been a while since you, you said, maybe you've never done it. I want to follow you. The opportunity here is just to say yes to following him. Start the journey. Start working out. What does this grace look like? What does it mean to have your sins forgiven? Just begin. We've, we've got so many resources we want to give you to help you start this journey. But maybe it's under your breath now. Pray with me this prayer and just say, Jesus, I want to begin this journey of following you. I'm coming home. I'm, I'm handing over the, the pure control of my life, and I want you to coach me. I want you to guide me. I want you to lead me. I need some life. I need some help. This anxious soul is not the way I think you designed me, and I need your grace. Would you help me this morning? Lord Jesus, as we sing together, as we start this new season in uh, Common Ground Bloberg, I pray, Father, that we would be a people who are a community, who encourage each other towards your purposes, who spur each other on towards love and towards good deeds, who spur each other on towards you, Jesus, at the very center of